Hello everyone, welcome to Ask the Amigos, where we answer our Discord community's burning questions with our incredibly, incredibly hot answers. Mm, sexy. So Aaron, we're going to lead things off with a couple questions we missed last week, or last month. As you recall, last month, we were dying, and by we, I mean I was dying of, uh, of heat in the arcade, and so uh, I think we, we might have hurried up a little bit too much, and we actually missed some questions, so start things didn't off Didn't we do them at, at, we did them at, at Boat Fest, didn't we? Oh, yeah, this was Boat Fest, and maybe, the, yeah, so it was two Don't months Don't blame my arcade, I, I knew it. Yeah, I'm blaming Boat Fest. So, Lobsterminator asks, what songs did you hear first as a cover version? Oh, gosh. You know, as I've studied music these past few months, I've realized that everything that I ever knew about music was wrong. And everything is a cover version, it seems like. <laughs> uh, so I'll let you go first while I ponder that. You've probably got a quick answer. Oh, like um, tons. Most most songs I heard first as a cover version. Because like, I always was real into the Beatles when I was a kid. And all of their early records are half cover songs of, you know, like Little Richard and stuff like that. Yeah. The one that comes to mind most is like Twist and Shout. That's for, you know, I definitely heard that the, the Beatles version before the Isley Brothers heard the Chipmunks version before the Isley Brothers version. I remember and I, really this is my friend more than it is me, but I remember having a long fight with my buddy about Tesla. They did a couple covers on their acoustic five man acoustical jam album. I believe that had signs on it. Uh, if you remember that song, mm -hmm. and it also had uh, um, uh, another song on—I can't remember the name—but I remember a fight with him about signs that 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 was a, a cover. He didn't believe me, uh, but it was. Uh, but as I look through music, and I wish I had a list in front of me, but like so many songs are covers, and sometimes their songs are covers of songs where they actually change like uh, the one word in the chorus or something, but it's the same song. And some songs they just ripped out the music and or ripped out the lyrics and just kept all the music too. So yeah, if you do a little research, probably a ton of the songs you love are probably ripped off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Paul, aka Hermsky, asks, "What's the furthest you've ever walked in one go?" <laughs> well, hmm, walked. Mm -hmm. It would probably be on a trip somewhere. You know, it's not like I set off and just. I myself, I don't. I wouldn't know how far it would been, but it would probably be like something like going to the beach or going to like uh, when we went to say uh, um, Walt Disney World, something like that. What about you? Yeah, those are definitely up there. But for me, I remember there was one day that we walked ten or twelve miles on the fifty mile hike in the Boy Scouts. Oh yeah, that was long. That was yeah, a long those day. hikes, those hikes, hikes in and out of like uh, jamborees and stuff. Those are pretty long efforts. Often, you mm -hmm. know, because a lot but of times it, those jamborees but... are out in the sticks. But you're right. When you walk or when you go to a theme park, you walk a ton and you don't realize it till you get home and you feel totally beat down. Yeah. Barkbit asks, mosquitoes, how do you deal with them? I try to be not where they're at if I can help it. Uh, sometimes in West Virginia, mosquitoes are a problem. Uh, it's not as bad as it is in the deeper in the south, but sometimes we'll get them. Uh, uh, so what do I try to do here when I'm hanging around the house? It's just not have any puddles or anything like that around the house that would attract them. Uh, when they are around, Teresa always has a big thing off. We'll use that, you know, you know, or we've got deep woods off. That's what we usually use. The deep. Don't woods. breathe that. Yeah. Oh man, no, stuff. you do breathe it. That's good. <laughs> no, don't, don't. But what about what do you do? Uh, well, it's a shame, you know. You've you've been to my house many, many times, and we have a w lovely back deck. 
that is totally unusable during the summer because we're in one of those neighborhoods where they have the drainage pond. Yeah. It's like two houses down from us. And the mosquitoes descend like hell swarm every yeah. evening. So as soon as the weather cools off and it starts feeling amazing, that's when they come out and they come right for you. And so you've just got to go inside. There's and, nothing else you can do. And even those torches, so they don't do the mosquitoes don't care. They'll come they'll come no. and get you. Yeah. No. They know where the good stuff is. Yeah. Uh Flack asks, where is the best place to eat in Hurricane? I'll let you cover that quickly because I know what you're going to say. Well, you know, you're you know I'm going to say Tudor's Biscuit World, but I will say that I haven't been I haven't been uh, eating at the Tude later lately. Um, I you know I have been more and more my tastes have kind of changed, and I will I will now honestly say I think Whiskey Taco is my favorite place to eat in Hurricane. I think it's got the combination <laughs> of the best food, the best drinks. And the cheapness, the relative cheapness, is good. I'm going to. Uh, I like whiskey taco. I'm going to be a shill uh, because it's not necessarily my type of food, but I know it's great. Which is the Thai house. Oh uh, yeah, it's great. Thai Valley Kitchen. I probably should didn't mention that one, uh, but uh, and well, then, I figured that you you might. So I, and I, no, I didn't you, want to you act didn't like I was figure that. And yeah, then I also I want to say that the drive in there in Milton. I mean, I know it's not directly not in Hurricane, Hurricane, but man, yeah, but we don't have one. And that place is awful good. Farley's. No, 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 we don't have a good one. That Farley's is in the same ballpark as that place. So I would, I would, I would say both of those. But if I was going to pick something here in Hurricane, I think Whiskey Taco is an excellent choice. Uh, and those, uh, those conclude our conclude our, our questions from last month. Thank you to Paul, aka Hermsky, for uh, for pulling those back for me, so I didn't miss them. Okay, Mister Dave asks, which do you prefer, K-pop or J-pop? Well, you know, I really don't listen to either. I, I do watch some of the videos that are they're amusing or uh, kind of make me feel weird. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, K-pop I'm less accustomed to, but I have enjoyed uh, some of the stuff. Well, let me rephrase that. Um, a lot of it I don't think is in, is for me. Uh, in fact, none of it. But uh, uh, there I, sometimes it amuses me. There's a there's a wrestler. Out of Japan, you know, Japan has all these crazy contests for these pop stars. You know, they have, and I'm sure Korea does too, where they try to, and they have these, uh, they have these big competitions, and they get troops together, and they have shows about the troops, and they do all this stuff. And there's a uh, there's a uh, a famous Japanese wrestler chick who was uh, in one of these groups and got the boot, and so now mm. she's this chick that comes out singing. In her schoolgirl outfit, she comes out and sings and dances, and then she flips off the crowd and she's super evil. So I kind of mm. like her. So I'm gonna just because of her, I'm gonna lean toward the J-pop. But I think both are probably have their they're not for me, but occasionally I will take a listen. You know, it's really been amazing to me to see the uh, the rise of K-pop as a cultural phenomenon um, with my students because, like, you know. K-pop is just, let's be honest, it's an imitation of J-pop. Japanese invented, like, the idol industry, right. where you have these good-looking the girls idols, or good-looking guys. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in Korea, just kind of glommed onto that. But now, the K-pop groups are bigger than anything. BTS is the biggest group in the world. And so... Um, <clears throat> I don't know who that is. I, you don't know who BTS is? Nope. They're literally the biggest group in the world. Right I believe now. you. That doesn't mean, I mean, just because I don't know who they are doesn't mean nothing. I just don't know who they are. I'm, I don't know who that is. 
Um, so uh, anyway, I'm going to go with J-pop because they were the originators. And there's actually some, I don't know <clears throat> if the groups that I like you would consider J-pop or not, but I like a lot of that old school like city pop, which I think uh, factors into the J-pop genre, like the 80s version of J-pop. So I'm going J-pop. All right. Andy Craig asks, flashback to episode nine when Aaron's cat knocked his A500 off a shelf and cracked the case. Is that cat still around? And if so, would you consider doing a pet shaming picture and renaming the cat to A-Ross? Uh, I, I, well, the cat's still around. I, I was telling Boat, despite my uh, uh, lack of energy, it was time to take the cats to the vet yesterday. So we took Snowball and Icky. That cat would Snowball, by the way. Snowball the cat. <clears throat> uh, and we took them to the vet yesterday, and Snowball's not happy with us because we had to put them in their little pet carriers and... Mm. Snowball, so Snowball's not talking to me right now. He's, in fact, it's funny. I noticed that whenever Snowball's like sick or mad, then Icky takes over all of his business. So Icky's been mm. coming in here. Icky's been jumping on the bed. Icky's been wanting petted. She took it's over all like... Snowball's business. So maybe if I had an Amiga sitting around, she would go up and wreck it. Uh, but uh, no, I don't think I'd rename the cat because he's he's been around too long now. They told me that both the cats are too fat as well, Boat. So I'm going to put the cats on the cat diet. Uh, mm. So there you go. But yeah, that cat's still around. A, a, a beautiful white cat. If he was nearby and less grumpy, I'd bring him in. But I don't want to fool with him right now. He'd get me. Jocko6502 asks, Somehow you have managed to obtain every legit copy of Top Banana in existence. What are you doing with them all? You know, I do have one here. Uh, mm -hmm. boat and uh what would i do if i had all the copies well i figured i'd take all seven and i would uh you know display them uh somewhere because there can't be too many more than seven or eight i would guess on earth what about you i would slowly i would create the perception of rarity by making many forum posts about how rare top banana is yeah that's how you work then, then, it. I, would, then I would hook up with the heritage auction guys and the wada guys and then I would slowly meter these out, maybe like one every two years to really jack up the price. So, you know, three or four years down the line, I'm a wealthy man and I've got a mountain of top bananas. You think people, even let's say there was only one box copy of top banana left, would that be worth money? Yeah. I think the better question is, would you recycle top banana or would you just burn it? Because you recall that these were the environmentally safe. I was going to say, it's, uh, it's meant to be eco-friendly. It's meant to be eco-friendly. Uh, you know, would I buy a copy of Top Banana? Do you remember how much you paid for that? I uh, don't want to say, but I, it, was more than I, it was more than you would expect. Was it Socrates money? Uh, no, no. It wasn't that much, no. Okay, okay. I would pay $20 all day long for a copy of Top Banana. Socrates, the high watermark for buying something dumb for too much money. <laughs> like, when you bring that up, I'm like, yeah, I got it. I know where you're going there, but why did I tell you? Um, Mitsuyama asks, do you prefer the narrow and powerful shot or the wide and weak shot in shmups? I need the wide one uh, because I'm not very good at shooting things. So yeah, I'll, go I'll with take the wide. the wide and the weak yeah. in any day of the week. Yeah, there Absolutely. you go. Uh, Pac Billy asks, what games that you've discovered through your various podcasts do you now return to again and again? Practically none, because I've always got a whole slew of games that I'm working on, and so it makes it hard to go back. Now, sometimes when I'm streaming, that's when I really will go back and hit some of the ones, 
that I've played. But I mean, it's uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, you've got a lot of learned people on YouTube. I mean, we're just a couple of schlubs. You've got some big players on there, right? That mm -hmm. may have like this uh, uh, encyclopedic uh, knowledge of all the stuff they've ever done. But we have been at this for so long and we've done it so much so fast that and plus my shortcomings memory wise like it's hard for me to remember all this stuff now when someone gets into something suddenly stuff will pop into my head sometimes i'll be like oh well what about this but like it's more like a party trick that i can't rely on you know so i don't get the chance to go back and play too many of the games uh, that we that we cover uh, because there's always more games. And when we finally put this podcast and all these other shows to bed uh, one of these days, then maybe I'll go get the chance to go back and really get to play some. What about you, Boat? I'm sort of the same way. I Well, first of all, a lot of the games that we cover on our shows uh, are not great. They're just not. They're not all-time classics. Um, we are entering an area on, on the Amiga where we are... 362 episodes in and uh, a lot of the classics wow. have been have been done and uh, same thing with the spectrum you know we're 100 episodes in and so um you know the games that we uh that we pick or the games that are chosen for us sometimes are, are not the greatest i will say that i go back to more stuff on the spectrum than the amiga at this point just because uh there's uh i just i think that that's a more just a more capable gaming system. I mean, to be well, honest. I think the Amiga, the, the one thing about playing for the most part, when you play a game on like the spectrum, is like, you're going to be playing easier to pick up stuff. Generally, not always. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, uh, that's one thing. Well, I mean, we'll like last week's a good example with railroad tycoon. I mean, you can't just sit down and play that. It's not right. like this week's game. I mean, you have to sit down and really figure out what you're doing and you're trying to, I mean, I don't want to do a bad job when we look at these, uh, you know, I try to do my homework on them, but like you're, it's almost like cramming for a, uh, uh, it's cramming for a study hall or for a big test at college or something. You're cramming all that knowledge in, and once you get past it, it's time to start cramming on the next one. So you kind of, you know, it. That's one of the. It's funny as many games as we've covered. That's one of the downsides of it for me. It's like I don't have a good uh, working memory of a lot of stuff we've done. That's you know, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. Yeah, it, it isn't boring. That's true. That's true. Mitsuyama asks, do you prefer multi-format or single-format magazines? And he says, I used to prefer single-format mags because I hated being tempted by seeing great games on other systems that I'd never be able to buy. Go ahead. So, like, when you were a kid and now, has your, has your, have your opinions changed? Well, when I was a kid, I'd say I, I do like... I really read both. Yeah, I mean, that's a crap answer. I guess the ones I preferred were probably, as long as, it, like, for example, if it's a gaming magazine, as long as it's a magazine that's devoted to video games, I don't want something that's got a game section. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so there, I guess there's that. But, I, I mean, it, given my choice back in the day, could I have, if I had, like, a British Amiga magazine or just something that, like an EGM, I'd take the British Amiga magazine all day long. So there you go. I am the opposite. Um, I, well, when I was a kid, I don't know. Now, I, I really think I've always been this way. I've always preferred multi-format magazines because even as a kid, I kind of could sense the cheerleading that goes on in a single format magazine where, you know, they're, they're a little bit less apt to be critical 
about when something's not great. Versus if you've got a multi-format magazine, they're not rooting for any one platform or any one killer app to come in and save the day. And so, and also the writers for those magazines played a whole bunch of different systems, you know, so they have a little bit better perspective on something than, than, you know, guys that just sat around and only played Amiga games or only played ST games. So uh, I just remember getting those early episodes of EGM in like 91, 92, and they were like phone book size. And not only did you get all the games that you were interested in, you found out about this whole other universe of games that you didn't know about because they were for these systems like the Neo Geo that you'd never even seen in the store before. Then on top of that, they had all kinds of important preview news from Japan. Here's a wacky thing that we might never see that's coming out for the Super Famicom. Yeah. I love all that stuff. Well, I think that one thing, I, was a, I wasn't a, a console gamer that like you yeah. were. And yeah. so, I, I, don't get me wrong, I flipped to a bunch of EGMs because Brent used to get them. But a lot of times, like, I didn't care what the, the newest JAG review was or the 3DO or is, or really even the Super Nintendo. So I didn't care that much. So I would look through them, but it wouldn't I wouldn't be very passionate about it. Like, if I had, like, a, a Coco or an Amiga magazine, something I was really into, I, I enjoyed it more. Mm-hmm. I understand. Uh, David Hearn Ryder asks, For the people who recently revisited Yolanda because of your podcast and are now having nightmares, do you feel in any way responsible? I got Yolanda right here. I like how these games that I have in within arm's reach keep coming up. I think Yolanda uh, wasn't as bad as it could have been, if, if you want the truth. So I don't feel bad. In fact, I'm glad I turned some people onto it. Uh, and uh, hopefully my box copy of Yolanda will go up in value as well. But you see what I'm doing here. That's right. That's right. You got the it's the LGR effect on the Amiga. You're you're the LGR of the Amiga. Yeah, me and me and the LGR we're, we're twin sons, different mothers. If you want the truth, yeah. I mean, uh, we both run in the same circles and uh, with the same success. Yeah. Pixels at Dawn asks, "What's your favorite software <laughs> for a retro system that isn't a game?" Um. Well, something that's not a game on a retro system. Listen, mm-hmm. uh. I've said this many times, but the thing that, especially back in the day when it wasn't retro at all, was the directory opus. That's such a great mm-hmm. program. I love it. I've got a version of it for the PC that I use. It's still around, uh, and it's great. It still works great because the concept is sound. So I'd put that up there. Um, another thing I use a lot on a retro system is uh, the is the mod player. I play a lot, you know, Eagle Player. When I use that a lot, when I want to hear some tunes. So those are the two things that come to mind. What about you? You know, when we were, uh, a couple of years ago, we were in Amigathon when we did our uh, Amiga Creative Competition, and we we had to use the, uh, the, you know, we did stuff in D-Paint, we did stuff in the tracker software. Yeah. I really liked, uh, I think it's called Octomed. Oh, yes. Tracker, yes. The tracker yeah. software. That is something, and I know Lobsterminator, uh, if you are on our Discord channel or our Discord server, look at Lobsterminator's uh, Bandcamp uh, uh, room where he is doing a whole series of tutorials on uh, on um, working with tracker software. Yeah. Uh, that is something that I really want to get back into because I like the way that it combines music and programming together in a very logical way. And uh, that's probably my favorite non-game thing on a retro system. And also, uh, uh, just to drive it home, people that are looking at uh, what Lobsterminator has been teaching have submitted some of the things that they've been working on, and they're they're really good. I mean, they've come a long yeah. way. So it's actually getting results. So there you go. Yeah. Um, Net Surge Frank asks, 
What was the best thing you took away from BoatFest? Like knowledge or experiencing a system or a game that you've never seen or played before? Well, listen. The first thing that comes to mind is when I took away three or four of those pepperoni rolls a bar made. <laughs> Bandits were good eating because I couldn't get anywhere near the food your wife made. They were gone instantly. Uh, but uh, with that aside, um, okay, and the Vectrix, of course, getting fixed. And, you know, all the stuff you would expect, just the camaraderie and the it was that was fun. Uh, I really, I hate to say it, but it, and and as, as sad thing is, I missed it. But the that the the Atari uh, Frogger game that you guys played, I had to go back and watch footage of that because uh, I don't know where I was at, but I could see it. That looked great. Between I'd say that and the and the Jaguar game, the uh, NBA Jam. I like the idea of playing mo- big, huge multiplayer games on these old machines. That looked like a lot of fun for the Frogger. The NBA Jam was a lot of fun. And it, what it shows me is you could take any crappy system. Uh, no, I'm not saying the Atari's crappy, but something like the Jag. And which you could, if you get the right amount of people there, you can have a good time with pretty much anything. So uh, there you mm-hmm. go. That's that's why we. So next time, six player soccer tees is going to be on. Is going to be loaded up. <laughs> I'm surprised the sock didn't make it out the boot. The fast. sock was in a bag in my car. I just, but, but I mean, mm. wait, listen, I didn't hook up the Adam. So what chance did the Socrates have? That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, for me, it was uh, just hanging out and uh, kicking back with Flax uh, crystal clear C64 setup. We talked about this before, but Flack brought his um, his ultimate 64, which is a uh, you know redone board with his original C64 keyboard that he had when he was a kid in a crystal clear case with crystal clear. JBL uh, or their Harman Kardon, one of those high-end brand speakers, and a crystal clear uh, TV that uh, he acquired from a former inmate at a yard sale, I think. And so uh, th- it was a great setup. And listen, if you're going to play C64, why not do it sitting next to the ultimate C64 knowledge base, the one, the only Rob O'Hara? So I really enjoyed sitting, you know, talking to him, playing C64 games, and just enjoying that experience. Oh, one more thing. I also, that's the first time I got to play with one of these high-end Amigas. Uh, oh, yeah. I want to throw also that cool. in there, too. Uh, I'd never got to play with one of those. And Level Lord, the Lord, brought his down from on high. And that was a fun experience. He, t- he kind of showed me the ropes, showed me around, let me tool around on it. And he was very... Uh, he was very generous, which just let me just go to work on it. And so I got to sit down there really before the fest started and actually kind of fiddle with it. And that was kind of neat, too. At least I've got a point of reference on these things now. Because before, they were just sort of this uh, weird uh, like thing that we never touched or seen. So that I want to throw that in there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good good point. Uh, Batman asks, what are your thoughts on the BBC Micro? Well... I, to be honest with you, the few times that I've got to mess around with the system, I've never actually got to really pull with one proper. Uh, but uh, I've en- I have enjoyed some of the games on there. But uh, we've it's been a limited uh, exposure boat. Uh, to me, it is it's right up there. It's the top in in my top three most desired computers, retro computers. We don't okay? have one of those in the collection, do we? We don't. Number one. Is the um, is the Acorn Archimedes, of course. Number two is the Thompson T O seven. I'd love to have a Thompson because man, I want to fire me up some Yeti. Mm. Okay, that'll make and you number three. Happy. And number three is the BBC Micro. Mm. Uh, the Micro was built like a tank, solid as a rock, very Atari eight hundred esque, and its weight and its heft. It's got that built in. Uh, it's got a built in speaker 
so you don't have to worry about it. And it's not just a beeper speaker either. It's a real speaker. It's got a real. Okay, I don't actually. I don't. I don't. I don't know if it does or not. It might just have a beeper. But the speaker was in there. Um, and of course, you know, it's it's the original home of Elite. So what's not to love about that? I'd love to add one of those to the collection. I love the uh, the idea of the BBC Micro, although uh, I am even less versed in its software than Aaron is because of my lack of appearances on ARG Presents. Yeah. Chris Folds asks, do you miss the days of the TV event where the entire nation was tuning in at the same time, or do you prefer everything on demand? The TV event was pretty awesome, I'll be honest with you, because... And I can, it's funny because you could name just, there weren't like, it's not like there were tons of them. Uh, uh, every year there were a few that you could set your watch to, like the Super Bowl and stuff. And that's some of the, and really that's one of the last ones is the Super Bowl. Well, but, sports in general. Right. But back in the day, like, listen, I know, I remember distinctly watching the episode of Dallas where they revealed who shot JR, all that mess, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't watch Dallas. I didn't give a crap about that show, but, it, you know, we all saw it. I watched the last episode of MASH when it was on, like, because I was a big fan of MASH. My family always watched it, and that was a huge deal. Like, everyone watched it. I remember when they opened, when Gerardo Rivera opened up Al Capone's vault. I was there. I was watching it. It was crap, but we watched it. You know, these are some goofy, you know, goofy things that happened. Remember the, the uh, uh, what was that crazy movie called where they blew up America the day after, or whatever it was called, the, the thing with the Russians and the nuclear thing? I, that was a big deal. Like, everyone watched it. My parents wouldn't let me watch it. They made me go to bed, and I snuck around the corner and caught some of it. It was a, you know, these were things, and that kind of stuff's not going to happen again. Now, would I want to go back to having three channels on the TV and maybe a couple PBSs? No. I do like the fact that I can almost always catch a Twilight Zone or a Star Trek at any time of the day or night now, or a cartoon. Uh, you know, but do I, you know, back, the one thing that prevents you from doing is having a show that's on the that's uh, on the current mind of everyone in the country that you could all kind of get together and talk about uh, that, and so I don't think that's coming back either. Boat. I disagree with everything you just said. No, fair enough. Uh, I maybe it's our age, you know, is because when I was, you know, there was never a time where I didn't have cable. My parents had cable all the way since I was a kid. Okay, so you'd already remove that. Everybody's watching the same thing yeah. all the time. Everything I mentioned is before I ever had cable. Was all that stuff happened? Yeah, and two, a lot. All of those moments that you mentioned, the last episode of Mash, who shot Jr. Like I was a kid. Like I was like three when all that stuff happened. Right. So like I don't think that there were really aside from here's the one. This is the one. OJ. That was the that was the one thing that's happened in my life that everybody oh. watched in real time. Uh, yeah, I would say, uh, or maybe the wait stuff at Waco, the, or the you know disaster stuff. But I'm talking about just like shows. Yeah, you know, news shows, and sports as, don't really count. As far as shows go, I cannot think of any like touchstone moments that the whole that captured the heart of the country. Yeah. Because when you move into the age of cable, that was already gone. Yeah, you yeah you so, w- you wouldn't have a reference on any of that. It's understandable. Uh, uh, you know, but the funny thing is, Boat, before you go on, there's all, it's not just like, like I'm talking about the, 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 those episodes of Dallas or MASH. Those were literally some of the most highest watched moments in television history. Oh, but, yeah. But the stuff that no one talks about, it's like, hey, listen, everyone watched 
the la everyone watched last night's uh, F Troop, or everyone mm -hmm. watched because there weren't that much shows on TV. So you're pretty much a third of the people you know are probably going to be watching one of those shows, and maybe two thirds are going to be watching them. So. You know, like, I don't know if you ever watch Game of Thrones and something that comes off the top of my head. You've never seen probably one episode of Game of Thrones, yeah. have you? But you remember everybody talking about it, and it was you'd right. see it referenced a lot. You didn't know what was going on. Like, that that's the difference. Because, like, you, I didn't watch Game of Thrones either. And I saw some of it towards the end there. But, but there, because that you don't have to just all watch the same thing. And so it's hard for there to be that one show or moment that everyone watched because everyone's all splintered on onto a million other things. Right. Now, I will say that I prefer, you know, like, I understand the appeal of that, of having everybody involved all at once. But here's the thing. Of the people that I know and I talk to on a regular basis, we all still watch sort of the same things. And so um, when you watch some, when you have shows on demand, if you're sick the night that it comes on or you, you're, you're having to do something with your family, you're not screwed. Like there were tons of people that didn't watch Princess Di's wedding because they, you know, they, their uncle died and they were at the funeral or something like that, and so they didn't get to experience that. But if you're watching today, you know, you just catch it, you catch it when it, whenever you want, at whatever yeah. time you want. Yeah, that's another so, thing. That's true. That's a good uh, point. That's sorry. I mean, I understand the nostalgic appeal of the monoculture, but uh, I I don't want to go back to those. Well, I mean, th when you put it coldly like that, the uh, the appeal of the monoculture. I mean, there's there were plenty of bonuses to it, and the th and the bonuses was like you everyone was sort of on the same page for. I mean, even the news and stuff, we were all sort of. We, I mean, again, your choices were limited. I'm not saying we want to go back to it, but there, I I'm glad I got to go through it. I feel bad that you didn't. Okay. David Hearn Ryder asks, which of the Terminator movies is your favorite? I've, I've only seen Terminator 2. That's the only so. one you need to watch, brother. That's the best one. That's the best one by a country mile. Best soundtrack, best actors, best effects, best story, best everything. Graham Vebke asks, In Australia, we had the Micro-B computer in most of our schools, and Apple IIs and libraries, from my experience. And in the UK, it was, I believe, the BBC Micro. You know what the main computers that were in schools in the US in the mid to late 80s? Did most schools in the U.S. switch to Mac or PC in the 90s? So uh, I'll talk to you about my experience, and then you can fill me in on what I'm missing. Go ahead. So uh, we never had computers in our... In, uh, well, okay. Well, I saw the first computer in a classroom when I was in fifth grade, and somebody had brought in um, an, an one of those uh, PS2... I, they were either 286 or 386, all-in-one IBM PCs. And we had one of those in the back of the classroom, and I think we played like Carmen Sandiego on it. Was and it I went color? To middle school. Was yeah, it? It, was, it was color. Uh -huh. It was color. When I went to middle school, it was like stepping back in time <laughs> because we didn't have computers in any of the classrooms except for the uh, shop room. And in that shop room, there was a classroom full of Atari 800s from 1979. <laughs> yeah. Although we didn't have them in 79, but yeah, I knew they were there. That's yeah. And so and so uh now when we moved in in those got replaced when I was in 8th grade by those same sort of like they were probably 386s uh all in ones. And I think what happened was Toyota when Toyota decided they were moving into town, we got a whole bunch of computers cuz they they sponsored us basically. 
Thank God for Toyota. They probably saved this yeah. community's bacon. Yeah. And what you guys have in high school, just more PCs. In high, yeah, in high school, it was all it was all PCs, and we did we still didn't have the only th the <laughs> only place that we had computers was in the computer lab. Uh, the, the first computer I saw in a classroom would have been a Tandy a TRS-80 Model 1 or 3 that someone had brought in, uh, and we didn't have any computers in high school at all. I remember coming, or middle school, I should say. I remember, and by the way... You didn't for, have the lab of Atari 800s in No, school? they didn't have that when I was there, unfortunately. Huh. You got to think, crazy though. that they... Well, it, well, it's crazy because they would have, when they put those in, they would have been like 10 years out of date at yeah, that point. Yeah, they didn't have a computer lab when I was there, uh, unfortunately. And then uh, when you got to think, though, again, I graduated in 89. That would have put me in middle school. And what is that? What would that be? 83, 82, 81, that mm -hmm. era. So you, that was that was early on, even for Ataris. Right. And, and, and so right. uh, but we didn't get so when I got to uh, um, high school, uh, they had finally, I think my junior year, maybe my senior year, they got some computers. Keep in mind that. Uh, I went to typing class on typewriters. I mean, so we, we learned to type on typewriters still with the whole nine yards with the paper. And they were like IBM electric typewriters. I think they were just beat to death, you know, over years of just getting crushed by idiot students. Uh, I had a computer class. I'm pretty sure it was my senior year, but it could have been my junior year uh, with Mr. Wu. And we had some of those PS2 uh, computers, just like you're talking about. The the uh, they They were just your standard. Uh, IBMs. Uh, so that was the only thing I ever got to use at school. Now, of course, I had a computer for all those years, including middle school, and I was just wondering what was taking them so long. Uh, now, the school had some computer because I remember they were, they were, they would, uh, they started sending report cards home and the report card would be printed out on like a line mm -hmm. printer because mm -hmm. I knew a guy that made his own report cards, bootlegged them and sold them, and he made a fortune, by the way, oh, doing bet. that. And it was real simple because he just took some computer paper and just printed them out from home. Mm. I could, in fact, I did one for a buddy of mine, but it was a no charge unit, you know. But uh, uh, yeah, so that was the extent of my computer use back in those days. Graham's second question is: Have any of you ever used a micro B computer? I've, oh. I've never used one, but I, me and Brick covered the micro B on ARG uh, one time, uh, so we did emulate one. So there you go. You can look that episode up. I remember doing it. Uh, Mitsuyama asks, now that it looks like Elon Musk isn't going to spend $44 billion on Twitter, what should he spend the $44 billion on? Well, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. Uh, until I knew about e uh, Elon Musk, uh, I knew about what he had done, but I didn't know much about the person, uh, Elon mm -hmm. Musk, until the stuff with Twitter uh, went nuts because I couldn't figure out why everybody was leaving Twitter uh, because... Uh, and they said it was because they didn't like Musk. And I was thinking to myself, who do you think runs Twitter now? It's not like these guys are uh, genius, peace-loving uh, uh, super gods. They're a bunch of goofs that run it now. Uh, so as far as I was concerned, you were trading uh, one goof for another. I don't know much about Musk. He's got all this money. I mean, really, he's going to do what he does. Uh, I would like to see him uh, try to maybe uh, do something that would benefit us from an energy perspective. Because a lot of his more recent uh, ideas have been sort of duds, the uh, the big, the boring company, some of this other stuff hadn't panned out too good. Uh, so we'll just see what he does. But I mean, he's going to do stuff that's going to make Elon Musk more money. That's all he's going to do. What do you think, Boat? 
Well, you didn't actually answer the question, or at least I didn't hear the answer. What should he spend the money on? Something to help yeah. mankind from an energy okay. perspective. Okay. Is my altruistic, point. altruistic endeavor. That's right. I see. Um, you know, forty-four billion dollars. It's when you think about that much money, you just think about that's an in that's an incomprehensible amount of money. But it's, I mean, it's in the fact that like one company could be worth that, just shows you like how crazy the times are right now. Because this isn't like, you know, a factory that's churning out something that's incredibly valuable. This isn't like some drug company that's making life safe. This is like a place where people go and they complain about their lives. Yeah. And this thing is worth $44 billion. And it's as low, it's as low tech as it gets. Right. I mean, my God. I, I'm like, I'm with you. When I heard what he was wanting to pay, of course, he was paying over the asking price. Mm-hmm. But I thought to myself, how does this even generate any money. I had to look to see if it was even profitable. I wasn't even sure how much money they could possibly be generating on Twitter. It turns out a lot. Uh, but God only knows, I guess through ads, I don't know where they mo- the money comes from, if I'm honest. I don't know how much money that is, It just seems like if these people have this amount of money to throw around, if you can throw around tens of billions of dollars on a social media platform, why do we still have you know kids that go hungry every night? You know, Why do we still have bridges that fall down and, and you know why do we not have just things that you would think a modern developed society would have all throughout the country like why can't america have just like decent crap you know and it just it just seems like for 44 billion dollars we could at least get up to like some sort of like base level of not being awful to be fair we're better than almost a good chunk of a lot of other countries i mean we're not the worst I mean, there's no, we're not the worst. Yeah, do we have hunger? Yes, but it's not. It could be worse. Now, without all that said, you're not. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Uh, uh, listen, uh, uh, our priorities are are in the tank, uh, and they have been. I mean, sometimes literally, and we uh, we have uh, we have allocated our efforts in very stupid ways. And, and but the, at the end of the day, this is a man who made his fortune. Uh, after he inherited a large sum of money, and it's his money. I mean, just like Bill Gates, everybody else, they can do what they want with their money. Uh, and so, you you know, it, that's the thing. I mean, the one thing about America, we can generate billionaires, but what they do with their money after they get their billions is uh, up for debate. Jocko6502 asks, if you could fit the guts of one retro computer or console inside the case of a different retro computer or console, what would your retro mashup machine be? I've got one right off the bat. I would put the guts of an Atari 8-bit computer inside the case of a TRS-80 Model uh, Model 3. I love the way that the, the Model 3 looks, you know, with the, it's got the thing and it's got the, the thing it's all together. Um, and, but the, the, I mean, let's be honest, you're not going to have a whole lot of fun with the TRS-80 Model 3. So I would take a computer that I would have a lot of fun with and stick it inside there and make it look awesome. I like the TRS-80 Model 3. There's a lot of good games for that thing. Surprisingly, man, I mean, we, when me and Brent did the, uh, uh, the Australian equivalent, I was surprised how many of the games on there that I thought were a lot of fun. But that much said, I mean, that's not the worst choice. I mean, cause that thing's a big bulky unit. I think I would take. I think I would do something with the Commodore Pet because that, that's a cool, crazy-looking unit. Mm-hmm. I might stick a uh, a more modern uh, machine in that, say like a modern PC. Uh, you know, uh, um, our good buddy David Z printed out one of those gimmicks for Eric Nelson. One of those—it's uh, sort of a 
throwback you all in one yeah, unit it's called like the calypso or something like yeah that. and it was kind of yeah. neat uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh so you know it's something that's i guess i'm not the it's not like i'm the first person to think about it but i i like the uh, i think i'd like a computer with a built-in screen but i want the screen to be round you know, like a porthole yeah you know, something yeah. like you remember what was that biodome by bioshock something you might mm-hmm. see on the floor that, that's controlling the bioshock right. uh, universe right. you know one of those crazy i'm with looking, you man yeah, I think that would be cool. Yeah. Like an oscilloscope screen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but bigger. Ben's, yeah, but bigger. Ben's asks, in U.S. movies or TV shows, school lessons always end with the teacher in mid-sentence. Are teachers not allowed to know how long a lesson lasts? Is it random so they never know when it's going to end? The bell always seems to some as a complete surprise to them. Well, I mean, I, I, I'll let you, you're a teacher, but I, I could just say as on the side of the student, we all knew when class was ending because our eyes were glued to that. And so did the teacher. And usually the teacher towards the end of class is just basically killing time till the students all leave anyway. Now, it's not saying it never happens. Sometimes a teacher gets rocking and rolling with a lesson and uh, they, they'll, they'll work through and not even notice what time it is. And I've had a few teachers that wouldn't let you leave till they were done, whether the bell rang or not. So it, I think in the movies, it's just a good way to break up the dialogue. Yeah. I mean, that, what you said is exactly right. Like, sometimes when you're really dragging and, you, you know, you don't, the te- students don't want to be there, teachers don't want to be there, everybody's looking at the clock, then, you, you're, you know, the, the lesson ends on time. But on other days, when you're fired up and you're teaching something that's really awesome, the kids are getting into it, then, yeah, you just you lose track of time. And now, it, uh, in most schools these days, bells don't mark the uh, beginning and ending of, of classes anymore, uh, at least at the middle school level, because they've determined that that's somehow harmful to young minds to have uh, bells in between classes. So you only have the bell at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And it's up to the teacher to watch the clock and dismiss students on time. Who's not very good at that? This guy. That's, that's a but, horrible um, idea. But uh, the uh, I think that the reason why was uh, because maybe, you know, students would be so engrossed in the lesson that they'd hear that bell and it would give them an inner shock that would traumatize their 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 little minds. That's a shoot, by the way. There's no bells in between. Classes. I, be- I believe you because things are dumb now, you know, and it's, <laughs> I always thought the the bell was almost it was Pavlovian, right? It was the mm-hmm. uh, the bell would go off and, and robotically you were on to your next class, and we liked it that mm-hmm. way. I never, I've never heard that it, anybody was traumatized by the ringing of the bell. But it, we live in a different, goofier time. That's all I can say about that. Pixels at Dawn asks, "What's the biggest extremes of weather you've ever experienced?" Um, when I was in Arizona, <laughs> it was like one ten or one fourteen, something like that. It gets hot here in West Virginia, but it doesn't get above 110 ever. It's very, um, very... I don't know if I've ever been above 110. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. hot. Um, uh, the coldest I've ever been... Um, I mean, like, it gets, you know, minus... And again, these are all Fahrenheit temperatures. But, you know, it gets like... I, I don't know if I've ever been colder than minus 10 without the wind chill. <clears throat> I've seen, like, minus 5 and stuff. But really, to be honest with you, the coldest I've ever been wasn't because it was cold, like, physically all outside. It was because I was camping, and it was in the fall or the winter, and I was wet because it had rained. Mm-hmm. That's the coldest I've ever you just, been. You just took what I was... Okay, I, the coldest I've ever been without a doubt was that winter jamboree I went to, which I've spoken on, where my pants froze because I got wet. Mm-hmm. Just like mm-hmm. you said... 
and I don't know what the temperature was outside. It could have been negative 50. It could have been 10. And you get to a certain point where it doesn't matter because if you're outside in it, you're screwed. You know, and unless you're like, I mean, if you're from the north or Alaska or somewhere you're used to walking around like minus weather, then, and I don't ever want to be used to that, if I'm honest. Right. In terms of the hottest I've ever been, I mean, uh, Mexico was pretty hot. Houston was pretty hot. I would say probably somewhere down there. But again, it's a different sort of heat. There are times where I've been in like Florida where it was so hot and and the air was so thick, it made you feel really bad. So I would say mm-hmm. probably, I mean, West Virginia, don't get me wrong, it'll get hot, but it's 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 not the worst heat in America. The worst heat in right. America is going to be somewhere like Florida or somewhere like Houston where it's really d- doom hot. I mean, not count like Death Valley or something. Um, David Hearn Ryder asks, will the next boat fest be in Australia? No. Doubt- <laughs> I want to say doubtful. Uh, Australia is uh, far away and expensive to travel to. Too many weird so. bugs, too. They'll kill you. <laughs> Those big spiders are like as big as a trash can lid. Now, honestly, though, I would love it if Boat Fest would, and we, we talked about doing this uh, at the beginning of Boat Fest planning uh, this past year, where there would be Boat Fest satellite events all over the world, wherever, uh, you know, uh, the Amigos community gathers. Uh, and I would love to see a Boat Fest UK, a Boat Fest Australia, uh, all held either concurrently or just sort of in the same time frame. And uh, so we can all kind of zoom in together and, and see each other on the Discord or whatever. That would be the ultimate and cool. You know what would be better? To prove your loyalty to the people. Because these are sad. Think about this. You're planning satellite boat fests, right? To show your the love for people that would, let's say, if, let's say, a live, let's say they get 50 people for a boat fest in Australia, right? You would have to chop off the upper portion of your left pinky finger, and you would mail it to them. They could hold it up. Now, that's dedication, something like that, because you'd be there and physically there. Why don't I just give them a lock of my hair instead? Well, I think the finger's easy to come by. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Pajaco6502 asks, what's your favorite dad joke? You know, I tell my kid dad jokes all the time, and he hates them. He hates it when I when I tell him to, but I read them all. I don't know if I've got any memorized. Do you have any that pops in your head? I think they're all funny. I think they're all hilarious. I love dad jokes. I do too. I, I and my my son physically attacks me when I when I tell him. <laughs> we'll get back to you on a couple of those. I have to ponder that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Folds asks, "What's the biggest injury you have ever sustained?" Uh, I probably for me, it was my hernia. I've had two hernia surgeries, and if you don't know what a hernia is, it's where your intestine gets a hole in it. It just tears itself open, and it hurts real, real bad. And I've had that twice. That's bad times. I've been, I say this now, being ill, but I've been very lucky. I've never had any traumatic injuries. I twisted my ankle one time when I was playing. I drank a bunch of gold schlager. Remember that? Oh, my gosh. You ever had that stuff? It's got the little flakes in it. So pretty. Yeah. And it goes down smooth. But I drank a bunch of that gold schlager one night with some of my buddies. It was actually Spartan and the uh, Barbie, the chick that made the pepperoni rolls. A couple other people I know. And uh, uh, I was out shooting basketball, drunken basketball in the middle of the night. This I don't know where I was at. I'm not sure any of us knew. <laughs> and uh, I was I went in for a layup, and I threw the ball up near and did about six pirouettes and came down on my ankle wrong and jacked my ankle up for a, a good while. So I would say that's probably the worst injury I've had. You've been very lucky. Very lucky in your long life that you've never I'm, had. I'm a... petrified that it's all going to come back to haunt me, but I, and that's, a, that's a shoot. I feel, I've been very fortunate. 
Uh, Super Tech Boy asks, do you have an event on your bucket list? Well, <laughs> we just had, I would say pulling off both fast was a pretty big, <coughs> that's a pretty big bu- bu- bucket list. That wasn't list. on your bucket list. You weren't like, man, before I die, I want to go to boat fest. I don't know. It was on my boat. It was on my bucket list. The second you announced it, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to get through this thing. Um, uh, event on my bucket list. Let me ponder it for a minute. I, I mean, I've, I've been to Gen, you know, early in my life, I wanted to go to a Gen Con, but back when that meant something, like before, now it's a big deal, don't get me wrong, but when I was a little kid and I had D&D books, they would talk about Gen Con, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, this was a big deal, where Gary Gygax and all his brood would be up there, and I was like, oh man, what would it be like to go up there uh, to meet all these guys and to see all these other players as I was a little kid, so I think the thing that I always wanted to do, I'd I did it, but I did something that can't be done because when they moved it to a huge con and everything changed, they made it like Comic Con. You know, it, it wasn't the same. Uh, so I w- I'm going to say in my mind, it would have been those early Gen Cons at Lake Geneva. Hmm. Uh, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to charter a sailboat one day and uh, have it crewed, so I wouldn't actually have to do any of the work, but just go down to the Caribbean. And uh, and just cruise around the islands on a sailboat. I'd love to do. Oh, that. I didn't know that was. An, I thought we had to do stuff that were like a planned event. I know we could just make up stuff. I want to do that too. That sounds oh, good to well, me. I, I maybe I read it the wrong way. As far as a planned event, <sighs> yeah, boat fest. You know, let's go back to your your other thing. You're going to get on a boat, uh, you know, I know you, right? And you're going to get on this boat. And where would you say you were going? Just, uh, well, I would get on the boat in, like, the Bahamas or somewhere. Right. I just wonder how far into your trip before you would be sick of the boat. And then you'd be, well, trying, that, to, you'd be trying to send the boat back and fire all the crew. That's the, that's the thing. Whenever I get sick of it, I'll just say, drive me back to land, good sir. And then I'll get off it, and I'll walk away. <laughs> just never come back. They just wait there. Oh, no, no. I take it back. I'll tell you what I would love to go see. There's this thing, in, uh, it's called the uh, Concorde Auto or something like that. It's in Pebble Beach every year. And it's this, it's this like most, like imagine the most upscale car show you can imagine with everybody dressed up like they're going to the Kentucky Derby. There's all kinds of fine foods and wines. Yachts are pulling in and stuff. It's like the ultimate like upscale car show. I would love to have VIP, VIP tickets to that and go see that. You could that probably cool. do that, Boat. Your yeah, boat. I could. I could. I could. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that next there year. There you go. Um, Super Tech Boy also asks, if you were a professional wrestler, who would you want in your tag team and why? <clears throat> well, if I was a pro wrestler, that my tag team part would be someone that does all the work while I just stood there. So they have to be huge, excellent at their job, and dumb. Okay? So I'm going to go with someone huge, excellent at their job, and dumb. I'm going to pick Andre the Giant. That would be a good choice. <laughs> He's a huge uh, uh, killing machine, and I don't have to do anything except just let him go destroy the opponent. So I'd pick that. It's an easy choice. Although I almost picked Kamala, and I almost picked a, a, a Bruiser Brody, a few others. But, I mean, he's the, why not pick the biggest guy? That's my motto. Well, the first thing I thought of was Martin Screlly. You know that guy? The Pharma Bro guy? He's just, but everybody, everybody hates that guy. Right, exactly. If everybody hates that guy, nobody's hating on me. Yeah, but I'll you're teaming with him. 
Listen, it's one of those weird tag teams. Yeah, but how are they going? How's the crowd going to know that? They're going to think you're uh, some kind of jerk. They're going to want to kill you, boat. You know, guys I need get, to rethink this plan. You know, guys get stabbed or crap on the way to the ring. They throw uh, acid on them and stuff, stab them and stuff, so batteries at them. So just because yeah. you go up there, they they don't know who you are, and yeah, you look like that. You kind of look squirrely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe I'd go with Yokozuna then, since I just watched that documentary on him. Good choice. He was yeah. a monster. Um, and the, our final question from Ask the Amigos for this month comes from Super Tech Boy once again. He says, what was your favorite computer TV show growing up? Computer Chronicles? Database? I did watch Computer Chronicles uh, back in the day, but they never focused on computers I liked, and they never focused on stuff for those computers I thought was cool. Which was games mostly or BBS stuff. Um, <clears throat> so, boy, that's a tough question because there was not like when I was a kid there were no computers. So I mean, there was there was a uh, uh, if you watch the uh, ABC cartoon block, they had a thing called Supercomputers with Mister Chips. That was like a two like a one minute a Saturday thing where they were talking about computers. I watched the show. Uh, you know, there's not much. I mean, there's not much. I don't. What do you got? You got anything? Does the Super Mario Brothers Super Show count? That does not count, Bo. That's not. It's about got computer. Captain Lou Albano in it. That's still not, what's that? Do you think Lou knew how to use a computer? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe come up with something better. I seriously, I never, I, I never saw a computer TV show on TV except for like, remember Mr. Wizard? Yeah, but that wasn't about computers. He was a chemist guy. Well, some, some, some. No, no. Sometimes he'd have computers on there. And, there, and that that was as close as it came. There was a show that came on ABC on Wednesday nights, and it was called I think it was called Whiz Kids. It's about these kids that were real good with computers. It came out right after uh, War Games, I think, was popular. All right, so um, that I used to watch that, and there was a show, a real stupid detective show called Riptide. Okay, Riptide were about these guys that lived on this boat. They were sort of like Bo and Luke, except they lived on a boat, and it was called the Riptide. And they were these two handsome guys, right? But then they had this geek. I mean, and when I say geek, I mean like pocket protector wearing tape on the glasses, like super dork. That was like their dude. He was their computer dude. And then he also had a robot that would help. He had this big, stupid robot. That sounds so, great. So, so I mean, I, and I used to watch that show. And I used to root for the guy, sort of. But he was such a geek. It would sound like those guys were out getting all the women and stuff. And here's the geek with his robot talking about chess or some crap. But I, I guess that would count. So, yeah, I, those would both eclipse Computer Chronicles, sadly. And it were computer. I mean, WizKids was pretty good. That was, not, that was okay. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for this round of questions for Ask the Amigos. As always, if you would like to ask us a question, head on over to patreon.com slash Amigos podcast and uh, support the show. That gives you access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and you can ask us a question on there. Guys, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, adios. Adios.